Well, that last worship song that we just sang happens to be one of my favorites, and I think I just changed my sermon title because of it (laughs) on the fly. This morning, we're in our series called Joyful, and today the series, the, the sermon is called There's Triumph in the Trials, but I love that last line of the song, Bear Your Cross as You Wait for the Crown. I think that's a great summary of what today's message is going to be about. I don't want to give it away already, but that's a lot of where we're going today. So I love that song. I love how God sets us up in that way. Back in 2018, I was taking one of our youth group students out to lunch. Uh, his name was Nick. And he, Nick was one of my favorite students because he was one of those like quiet, shy, awkward kids. But once you got to know him, super interesting, super genuine. I loved the kid. We were both into punk rock. So we were both, uh, we got along very well. So I picked him up at his house and we drove over to Noodles and Company down in Coon Rapids in Riverdale. And we got to talking a little bit and he was struggling. This is why we're out for lunch. He was struggling. He was struggling because... Both him and I, we had a lot of the same similarities. One of the things that we had in common was we have ticks. Now, I'm not talking about wood ticks. I'm talking about like facial ticks and like body ticks. Like if you've ever, if you've talked to me for a while, you probably see me fidgeting. Um, I, I wrinkle my forehead a lot. I fidget my eyes a lot. My wife just the other day was like, are you already getting wrinkles? You're only 29. And I'm like, it's because of my ticks. Like I can't stop moving my face. Like if I wink at you, I'm, I apologize. Uh, I fidget my arms a lot. And as a kid... As an adult, this has been fine. I've gotten over it, and I'm going to share that a little bit too. But as a kid, though, this is one of the most difficult things that that I went through. Because as an elementary school kid, as a middle school kid, when when your friends see you twitching and you can't sit still and you're like winking at people and like you're just always, you know, just super fidgety, people make fun of you for that. And as a kid, it it wrecked me for a long time. I was so insecure. I remember sitting in class, and I would try so hard. I felt like my my I was crawling out of my skin because I would try so hard not to fidget, and my body was telling me fidget. But I was trying so hard because like I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want kids to look at me and to laugh at me. It drove me nuts. And so for a long, long time, I hid it as best as I could. But every now and then, a little twitch would come out, and someone would be like, "What the heck was that?" And I'm like. I don't know, I didn't do anything. And I would try to, to make up a story and I just became so insecure. And so we're, we're at lunch and he's going through the same exact struggle as me. And at the time, I was roughly 24 years old, I think. I don't, I'm a pastor, so I don't do math very well. But I had gone through the struggle and in my mind, the, the verse that gave me confidence was this. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. No matter what weaknesses, no matter what trials, no matter what struggles, no matter what imperfections we have, because of the gospel, because Jesus died for us and resurrected, we become his adopted sons or daughters in Christ. If we believe in him, confess our sins, he becomes our Lord and Savior, our identity changes. So I'm not identified by my tics, even though all the friends in school that made fun of me for it saw me as the kid who has tics. I'm not identified by that anymore. I found freedom from that. Now I can twitch all I want to. I can talk about it and there's freedom in it, but I'm talking to Nick and he's struggling with this too. And so we talked through, through lunch and it was a really good conversation. I dropped him off and I'm on the way home back to my office and it hit me. It hit me that that through all the struggles, through all the the trials that I had with these stupid little ticks that drive me nuts, God used it. There was something in it that God was using it for. And it hit me that maybe I have this struggle for a reason. 
so that not only can I glorify God and learn more about myself, but so that I can help somebody else, not just give them confidence, not just like a generic confidence, like, oh, you're okay, Nick, you're, you're going to be fine, God still loves you. No, like because of Jesus, your identity changes no matter what happens, no matter what imperfections you have, God still loves you, you're his son, be confident in that. And as I was driving home, I said, that, that's it. This is why I've had this struggle since I was like seven years old. They put me on medication. They told me to stop drinking Dr. Pepper. I'm not going to stop doing that. They tried to fix me. They couldn't fix me. The fix, though, wasn't being cured. The fix was knowing my identity is in Christ. And that's not going to change. So I want to ask you this morning, is there a trial or a struggle that you have gone through in your life that God has used to teach you a lesson. And not teach you a lesson necessarily in like a disciplinary way, but where he has opened your eyes to the great truth of who he is and who you are in him. Is there something you have gone through where maybe you wanted to be treated as the victim, as I wanted to be as a kid, but God has shown you there's something more in the trial that you're going through. There's something I want to teach you. There's something I want to do through you even though you're imperfect. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 12 through 26. I'm going to warn you, it's a little bit long, uh, but stay with me. If you don't have your Bible, it is up on the screen for you. But the Apostle Paul, just to give you a little context before we start, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing these words from a prison cell. Now, this happens to be one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, not only because it's so clean cut and it's so direct, but because of that context. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that it, in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is my favorite verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith so that through my being with you, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, I know that that was long, 
But what's happening here in Philippians 1 is as Paul is sitting in prison, he starts preaching the gospel to the prison guards. And because of this, prison guards are getting saved. The church in Philippi that he's writing this letter to, they're becoming encouraged. And Paul is saying, honestly, I'm in jail and he's going to be killed at some point. And this is a little bit graphic, but what he's saying is, I would love to be killed. I would love to be killed because that means I'm going to be with Jesus. But while I'm alive, my entire life purpose is to bring encouragement to those around me and to glorify my Father in heaven. That's Paul's purpose. And he knows that. So he's saying, I would rather be with Jesus, but I see so much benefit in being with you here and and encouraging you and helping you follow Jesus that, that I'll do it. Because Paul's whole life purpose is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's powerful. So Paul starts out by saying, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what's happened to Paul? So he's in prison. And this isn't a 21st century prison cell, okay? Not that prison is like a nice place to go today. It's It's not a hotel. But back in the first century, a prison is vastly worse than it is today. I mean, we're talking cold brick walls, no windows, a dungeon, being chained to the wall, probably being chained to the other prisoners and chained to the guards that you can't get away from them. But here's what Paul does. He said, it has become clear with the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I'm in chains for Christ. And so what we learn from this is that Paul is not using his situation and his trial to sit there and complain and become the victim, although it seems like he would have every right to be as he's sitting in a first century prison cell. But he's not using this opportunity to become the victim and say, everybody pray for me, send me prayers, people come come get me. He's not using it for that. Rather, what he's doing is he's teaching the gospel and he's teaching the people around him, the very prisoners and the guards, how to follow Jesus. And so what we learn from this is that sometimes we often feel that when we're going through a trial, God is either absent from us or he's angry with us. But there's a reality of life that we're going to go through trials. Life is not always going to be easy. I think in our minds sometimes we think this way, that if I just follow Jesus, every blessing will come. And that means finances, it means a great home, it means perfect kids. I mean, I have perfect kids, I don't know about your kids, but we get in this, I'm kidding, we get in this mindset that because I follow Jesus, everything good is now going to be happening to me. So that when trials come, we associate it with either God's angry with me, or God is absent from me. But what Paul is teaching us is he's saying, no, we're going to go through things in life that are going to, they have the ability to toss us to the left or to the right. But if we are built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, we will see that while we go through these trials in life, these are not just trials. They are opportunities to teach people not only how to follow Jesus, but to encourage them to do the same. And so here's the big lesson from this. Paul's trial was his way of triumphing. Paul's trial led to an opportunity to teach the guards about Jesus. 
Now, Paul had been writing to the book of, in the book of Romans. He writes this letter to the Romans. He's saying, I have been waiting for so long to come to you. It's my desire that I get to Rome so I can be with your church, so I can preach the gospel there. I want to meet with the government, but it's just not working out. The timing isn't right. The finances aren't there. And so Paul is, is traveling and he's preaching the gospel. He wants to get to Rome, but he can't. And then he gets arrested for preaching the gospel. And where do they send him? To Rome. It's funny how God works out, right? Paul finally gets to go where he wants and to preach the gospel there, and the Romans are paying for it. And so when he gets there, now the Romans, they work in six-hour shifts in the jail. And so Paul isn't just teaching the gospel to one or two Roman guards. He's teaching the gospel to the whole palace guard. And he says, it, has been, it is clear to them that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen street preachers or people maybe downtown who hand out a lot of Bible tracts. I remember one time when I was working downtown as a landscaper, uh, there was a guy standing on the street corner of Nicolet, and I don't remember the crossing street, and he was standing on the street corner with a sandwich board over his body that said, the end is near, repent, and he had a little bell, and he was yelling at everybody as, as they were walking by. And I'm going, at this point, I am going to school to be a pastor, but I'm looking at this guy thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. Because <laughs> if that's how I'm perceived, honestly, I don't know if I want to do this. Here's what I want you to see. Our call to share the gospel with all people, our call to be an encouragement to those around us is not to go to a street corner and get a bullhorn and start yelling at everybody to repent. Like, the information is right. The end is near. I don't know when it is. I don't have a chart. But the end is near. Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. His information is right. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said those words. But it's his way of saying it and it's his way of doing it That's not producing any fruit. It's producing awkwardness and honestly, even hatred towards Christians. And so what's what's Paul teaching us that's different in this passage? As he's sitting in chains, what's attractive about his faith is that he's not just preaching, he's living the message. He's genuine about his faith. Paul isn't a Sunday morning Christian where he only talks about Jesus on Sunday mornings and never outside of Sunday mornings. Church is only important for Paul only on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday, he just goes about his life and he does his own thing. No, Paul, it it bleeds out of him. He's a down-to-earth Christian where this is who he is. This is why he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If he's going to live, he's going to live for Christ. But not in an obnoxious way that's distracting or even confusing for people. He's just going to be genuine and live it out. And this is the way that he was able to convert the guards in prison. I mean, can you imagine going to prison? Put yourself in Paul's shoes. They were probably mocking him, angry with him, thinking that he was a lunatic, And yet he said, it's become clear through all of them. My purpose is that I'm here for Christ. Because if I'm going to live, you're going to know I'm a Christian. And this is because passion is infectious. Passion can be infectious. The way that we live, and I'm not talking about every single word you, you say or do, or everything you do has to be like, yeah, but Jesus, like, We have to be normal, 
But the people around you should know that you're a believer in Christ. The people around you should know who you know that you are, that you're a son or a daughter of Christ. That means we talk different, we act different, we live in this world differently. And now the expectation here isn't to be perfect either, because we're going to fail at this. This is why Paul also said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, we don't get through trials. We don't live perfectly because we have some source of inner strength that nobody can touch. You know, one of the things that I shared a couple of months ago is that every morning when I get up, I take a cold shower, like as cold as possible. And in the wintertime, it is freezing cold. It's very cold. This morning, I was in the shower for about seven, I'm not going to get too detailed, I guess, <laughs> but about seven minutes and I am just turning beet red. I'm freezing. But I do this because it's a great way to start my day. Not only does it wake me up, but it makes me feel like, okay, if I can do this, I can do almost anything else. If I can get through a cold shower at six in the morning, then I can take care of whatever else I need to do that day. However, sometimes we confuse ourselves by thinking that we're strong enough to get through the trials that we face. But I want to remind us here this morning, and I want to do this with grace, but the reason we can get through trials in life, the reason why we can glorify God even though we're imperfect people is because of Jesus. It is not through ourselves that we find strength. Paul did not say, I can do all things through myself who gives myself strength. Paul said, strength comes from outside of myself. Why? Because I'm imperfect, I'm sinful, and I have so many weaknesses. So if I'm gonna get through my trials and I'm gonna triumph in the midst of them, I'm gonna see victory through Christ. People around me are gonna experience Jesus because I'm handling my trial correctly. That's going to be through the power of Jesus, not by my own willpower. Because everything that we do to glorify God in this life and to follow Jesus in the way that he's called us to follow him, everything that we do, our source of that is Christ. Because we're imperfect. But here's the key. This is how we find joy in life. This is how we find joy in all circumstances. Knowing that we don't have to rely on ourselves to get ourselves through it. But rather, there is a God who is with us that is the source of our strength and our joy. See, oftentimes, like I said earlier, when we go through trials in life, we either associate it with God's absence or his anger. But our source of joy is understanding that God is with us in the midst of what we're going through. He is with us in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our trial. There's a reason Paul was here converting the palace guards. There's a reason why he said, everybody knows that I'm in chains for Christ. Why? Because if he wasn't, and if he didn't understand that his joy comes from God and that no matter what happens to him, he can always find joy. If he didn't understand that, he would sit there and he would complain. He would just ask to be killed or he would ask to be broken up. But no, he used his suffering as an opportunity to lead people to Jesus because he knows that in all things, God is right there with them. See, it's not Paul that's necessarily leading people to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, but Paul is becoming the person who's doing it. 
God is using Paul in the midst of his circumstances. And so I want to ask you again, what are you going through today that rather than complaining or becoming the victim, God wants to use you and your situation? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're not allowed to grieve. I'm not saying that we're not allowed to ask for prayer. But I think that there's a different mindset that we have that we want to become victims. That's different. There's, we want to become victims and we're grieving. These are two different things. You know, my, my grandma just passed away about a month ago from, from dementia. And one of the calls that I felt like God was putting on my life as I was one of the funeral speakers was to get there and to preach as fast as I could the gospel. Because my family is incredibly broken. My extended family, there's so so many of us, because both my grandma and grandpa had 12 brothers and sisters, so my family is very large, and there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sin. There's drugs, alcohol, stuff I found out about before my grandma passed away that I had never known about my family that was completely shocking, which I won't share details, but just I was amazed at how dark my family had been living for so many years. But I felt like in the midst of my grieving, I was sent to my grandma's funeral to give my family hope and a message. And my my message to my family was that while we all prayed for my grandma to be healed and for her mind to be right, I wanted my family to hear that my grandma is healed. Like she was going to be healed on earth or she was going to be healed in heaven. And what the gospel tells us is not just that we're saved from our sins when we die, but when we die, we go to heaven in perfection, meaning my ticks will disappear. My grandma can remember my name and the people around us. Whatever you're going through, the imperfections, the evil or the sin or the imperfections about you, it will be healed in God's presence. That's the good news of Jesus that the next life that we enter into is total perfection and total peace in Christ. That we're going to be with God for eternity in his presence without any imperfection or evil. And in the midst of my grandma passing away, I had to work through it with God. Where I was sad. I was grieving. But I want to separate sadness and grieving and put it in this box and victimhood and put it in this box. Because I wasn't a victim. Bad things happen through life and we just have to get through them. And so what I want you to hear this morning is not that you're not allowed to complain, not that you're not allowed to grieve, not that you're not allowed to ask for prayer, but I want you to hear this too. Use your suffering and your trial as an opportunity for the people around you to not only hear the gospel, but to be encouraged because of you. And here's the reality about what Paul is teaching us. We have to go through trials in order to grow in our faith and to get to this point. And this is a message that I don't ever want to hear myself either. (laughs) But we have to go through trials if we want to grow. We have to get uncomfortable if we want to grow. There is no way Paul could get to this this level of faith, to a level of faith that says, if I'm going to live, I'm doing it for Christ. But honestly, I'd rather die so I can actually be with him. If you want that type of faith, you have to go through trials in order to get there. I know a lot of us, we, we end up praying for strength. But what does God do when we pray for strength? 
Does he, does he gift you with muscles? Honestly, if he did, my prayer life would be a lot stronger. But when we pray for strength, God doesn't send us muscles. He sends us dumbbells. And he says, here, lift them. When we pray for strength, God's going to send us trials that test our faith. And if we can get through those trials by putting our hope and faith in Jesus, that's what provides us with the strength. This is why Jesus' brother James says in James 1, 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What, Paul, or what, what James is saying in this verse, these verses is that trials are a good thing because they strengthen our faith. So how do we have joy in the midst of our trials and suffering? Number one, we have to remember our identity in Christ. That because of God's great love for us, we are adopted sons or daughters in him. But number two, we have to remember that just because we're going through a trial, just because we're going through a suffering, it doesn't mean that God's angry or absent. But in order to have joy in the midst of trials, we have to know that God is with us. His presence is there. There's no way Paul could have done what he did if he did not believe that message. But number three, we have to understand that the trials are being sent to us so that not only our faith can grow, but the people around us can be encouraged. Many of us have, have kids, myself included. I got a cute little 10-month-old. You might have saw her in the front row during worship. Then I got a, a girl who will be five in about a month. And one of the things that, that my wife and I have realized in our parenting is that we can't shield our daughters from everything. Even though we want to shield them, even from our own stuff that we have in our own relationship, sometimes it's a good and healthy thing not to yell at each other in front of your kids, but to go back and forth a little bit with your spouse and then to resolve the issue in front of your kids. Now, this is important because my daughters need to see that mommy and daddy, we go through issues, we go through trials, we go through our own struggles and our own sufferings, but they can be resolved in the process. And our, our goal in this is that not only can our daughters see that, that life isn't perfect, but that when mommy and daddy go through struggles and, and trials in our own marriage, they can see us working through this. And our hope is that it's an encouragement for them. That they understand at some point that, that marriage is a reality and, and arguments are a reality and, and disagreements are a reality, yet they can be resolved in a mature and normal way. And our hope is that this provides an encouragement for them when they go and get married, that they learn that, oh, just because I get in a fight with my husband doesn't mean that, that we have to be angry with each other all the time or that we can't extend forgiveness, so that this can be resolved. This is what happens when we go through trials in our faith this is what happens to people around us. When people in your church know that you're going through a financial struggle or a, a challenge with your kid, and they see you handling it well and putting your faith in Jesus, they see that as an encouragement. And they say, 
if Pastor Bill or if Pastor Justin or Pastor John or if, if Michelle or if Brian or somebody, if they can go through trials and they can pray through it, they can trust God through it, they can be with their community and they can have people praying for them, they can get through this together, I can do the same thing. See, Paul's preaching the gospel to the prison guards isn't just for the prison guards, it's for the people in the Philippian church as well. It becomes the source of their encouragement. They're saying if Paul can go to prison and still do all of these amazing works in prison because his trust in God is so strong, we can do this too. No matter what we go through, we can keep our faith in Jesus and we can do this too. And so what I want you to do is I want you to put your trials and your suffering in perspective and see that people are watching you, especially your unbelieving friends and family. They're watching how you respond, how you react to death. They're watching how you respond and how you react to your financial struggles. They're watching how you parent your kids or your grandkids because they want to see Christ in you. And when they see Christ in you, it provides an encouragement for them. And so I want you to hear this. Your trials and your struggles and your sufferings, they're not meaningless. They're here to strengthen your faith and your trust in God. And they're here to provide you an encouragement for other people. And that's huge. And we see this in Christ as well. You know, when I, when I look at paintings or, or statues of Jesus as he's being crucified, He's always sitting on the cross or hanging on the cross with a look of sadness on his face. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't painful. I would never assume that. But Jesus suffered so that you and I could live. And this is how we know that happiness and joy are two different things, right? Because happiness is based on happenstance. Happiness is based on what happens to you. Happiness is like, I have a boat. I don't have a boat. I'd be very happy if I had a boat. But But happiness is based on what you have or your happenings. But joy is based on this inner confidence and steadiness and dependence on God. That no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, I can have joy because my God is steady, he's stable, and he's with me. And as Jesus goes to the cross to die for you and me, he is, I believe, he is full of joy. Now, not happiness, because he's going through a lot of pain, excruciating pain, more pain than any of us will probably ever understand or realize. But he is living out his father's purpose for him, and through his suffering, we have life. That's the gospel. Because of Jesus dying on the cross for us, we can enter into eternal life and be forgiven of our sins. I believe firmly that never did Jesus have more joy while he was on earth than in that moment because he knew that what he was doing, his suffering, was providing us life. And so I want you to hear this. When you find joy, even in the midst of suffering, you're understanding what Jesus was trying to teach you. That in the midst of suffering, God is with us, and we can be firmly grounded on our firm foundation. God is not far off. God does not hate us. Maybe he disciplines us, but he's not wrathful towards us. But he's with us. He loves us. And so I want to close with just one question. Whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever struggle that you're walking through right now in life, and maybe life is easy right now and good for you, (laughs) but maybe you think it's something that you have gone through recently. What is God trying to teach you in this moment?
What's God trying to teach you about yourself, about him, and about others? Spend time thinking about your problem and spend time answering those three questions. And I think that you're going to see what God's plan and his purpose is in the midst of your trials. And I think that you're going to be able to find joy in the midst of all circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, that we are, we're too weak to handle our problems on our own. Lord, we're sinful, we're imperfect. And so we come before you, recognizing that we're going to struggle every day, but Lord, we need strength. And it's not going to come from us, it's going to come from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would put people around us in our lives, Lord, Christian community, that's going to pray with us, it's going to pray for us, it's going to be with us. Lord, I pray that you would put us in front of your word more often, Lord, we would read your Bible and be encouraged by the words that you're speaking to us. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us to pray continuously all day long, Lord, so that we can be in the continuous midst of your presence. Because God, this is where we find our source of joy and our source of strength. It is with you and you only. And Father, if we're going through something right now, whether it's a financial struggle or a death in the family or a sickness, I pray, God, that you would speak to us and allow us to understand that there is a purpose in the midst of the struggle. And God, we have an opportunity to be an example and an encouragement for those around us, to grow in our faith in the midst of this. Sometimes we grow the most when life is the hardest. And so, God, we just come before you as your imperfect creation, and we just ask that your perfect presence would be near to us at all times. God, we love you, and we praise you. Amen.